There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and branch microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight, you guys are going to get all excited, is straight out of the Bronx. You thought I was going to say Brooklyn. Straight out of the Bronx, Professor and retired NYPD Sergeant Michael Geary, a professor at Albertus Magnus College in New Haven, Connecticut. Mike, good to see you tonight. Billy, good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. You're a fan favorite. I don't know why, but you are. You're a fan favorite. <laughs> you do a hell of a job. You know, Mike, one of the things that we've been covering, or we haven't been covering, but a lot of others have been covering, is there's a big conflict of interest right now uh, with the attorney for Brian Koberger, who is a legal aid attorney, apparently a very good one. However, it came up that she was also representing, uh, and I'll use her new name, Kara Northington, who absolutely, who actually also goes by Kara Canodal, who is the mother of, um, excuse me, of um, Zaina Canodal, obviously one of the victims in the Idaho quadruple homicide. The problem is, is that the attorney, Ann, uh, Ann Taylor, as soon as she got summoned for the case of Brian Koberger, she sort of uh, dropped um, Karen Northington like a hot potato. And I said, potato, is that New York-esque or should I say potato? She dropped her like a hot potato, 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 whatever. Anyway, she dropped her as a client. Now, it's sort of sad because uh, Miss Northing, Karen Northington, she's got a as you could see, if we play the video from uh, Ashley Banfield later on, she's got a rather severe drug problem. You could see it in the way she speaks. You can see it in the way she looks. And it's it's sort of sad. But the, my a bigger problem that I have with it uh, is that this, this is a death penalty case for Brian Koberger. So say the judge on this case of a quadruple murder case doesn't remove uh, Ann Taylor from the case and the case goes all the way through and save, let's say use a fourth instance, he gets uh, convicted and he's facing the death penalty. Might that in itself be a cause and a reason for almost an automatic appeal? So my thinking is, and I'm not an attorney, you know, and I don't play one on TV. <laughs> I'm just a cop, a retired NYPD sergeant. My thought is, why doesn't the judge remove her now? So this does not become a problem once millions of dollars are spent on this case, in the prosecution of this case. And in addition, how it seems to me unethical that she dropped Kara Northington, Kara Canodal, as a client, 
and jumped on this, of course, much bigger case of uh, Brian Koberger, this quadruple murder. I mean, any attorney, I think, um, would would do probably do the same. However, is it one a is it unethical? B is it done all the time? And C can this be done without there being a legal problem with this and an automatic appeal in the event of a conviction and a guilty verdict against Brian Koberger? I'll give you the floor, Mr. Professor Geary. All right. Uh, I have to agree with you, Billy, On in some respects, and I have a difference of opinion in others. Um, at first blush, what we call prima facie, looking at the case uh, and the facts of the case right now and the dropping of Ms. Kernodal's uh, mother as a client. Um, it does look unseemly. It doesn't. It does look unprofessional. But um, looking at it, doing some research, I don't see that she has committed any sort of violation of her ethical obligations to her clients under um, under the canon of ethics for defense attorneys. Um, I will agree, though, it does not look good. Uh, but Ms. Ann Taylor is in a very unique position. And so therefore, uh, I think she did the best she could. Um, she represented uh, Ms. Canodal's uh, mother uh, several times over the past few years. Yes, they developed a relationship. And yes, she actually had a court case uh, pending uh, with Ms. Canodal's mother um, uh, between the time that uh, her daughter was, uh, Ms. Canodal was killed and the time that uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Kohlberger came before the judge in Idaho. We go from, um, you know, November 13th, when the uh, hop, uh, murders happened, uh, and then we have uh, him appearing in an Idaho court for the first time with Ms. Taylor on the uh, 5th of uh, January. Um, it looks bad, and, and I, can, I can understand why there's a lot of outrage over it, but I think looking at the timeline, uh, from what I know, it looks that like Ms. Taylor uh, immediately dropped uh, Ms. Kernodal's mother as the as a client when she was assigned to Mr. Koberger's case. And therefore, she's not representing two different people at the same time in the same case, which would definitely be a conflict of interest. But I don't see the conflict of interest here at all. You know, Mike, I also want to bring to the attention of everyone that this is a small county in Idaho. Yes. They don't have a cash or a huge pool of right. legal aid attorneys. They don't. So it's not like the judge may have to reach outside, even further outside the county mm -hmm. than he already did to get someone who's competent enough to try this case. She, the judge is a she in this case. Yeah. So let me play a little bit of this and we'll get another, another little um, feel of this. Ann Taylor is the public defender assigned to Brian Koberger in Lataw County. She normally works for Kootenai County, but the judge brought her in because of the high-profile case. We confirmed Taylor represented someone in 2022 with the same name as a murder victim's parent, but this connection doesn't surprise former criminal defense lawyer Mohamudi. There is nothing sinister or nothing untoward about learning about a conflict. It happens all the time in any public defender office. There are always potential conflicts of interest because the public defender's office represents large amount of members of society 
He says when this happens, the attorney has an independent obligation to address the potential conflict. Then the court makes its own determination. What needs to be determined is what is the matter and what is the representation. So the cases have to be analyzed, the facts need to be analyzed, and then a determination needs to be made. But whether it impacts the court process depends on what type of conflict there is. There is what's called a concurrent conflict of interest, which means that at the same time, concurrent meaning at the same time. Uh, and that's where there's a significant risk that uh, the representation of one or more clients will be materially limited by the lawyer's responsibility to another client, a former client, or a third person. And concurrent conflicts of interest can arise from the lawyer's responsibilities to a former client. Hamoudi says this means a lawyer cannot use information relating to a previous representation to the disadvantage of the former client. Idaho court filings show Taylor represented the parent up until as recently as January 5th. On this day, Taylor signed an attorney substitution to take over those court proceedings. All this just one day after her newest client arrived to Idaho from Pennsylvania. Moody says conflicts of interest can result in the judge appointing another attorney. At this time, he says it's too early to say if there will be any effect on the Moscow case, but the first indication of potential impact could be Taylor filing a motion to be relieved counsel of record. We have reached out to the Kootenai County Public Defender's Office. So, it's... According to what we just listened to, it's not like a hard, solid rule. It's like not against uh, ethical standards. And look, this becomes much more complicated because this is a death penalty case. That's right. This isn't two DWI cases where the attorney wants to represent this other person because they have a better chance of getting off or whatever might be a reason, an insignificant reason. This is a death penalty case. And this legal aid attorney happens to have experience in that area. I don't think there's anyone else in that area right now that does have that kind of experience. So is it still a hardcore ethical issue here? It would seem to me, if you, a layman, not being an expert in law, if you told me the, the circumstances, I would say, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. But again, my bigger issue with this is do we go through the Brian Koberger trial and he's represented by Miss Taylor and he gets convicted and he's facing the death penalty and he gets the death penalty and that's part of the appeal. Oh, she should have never represented him. This is a conflict. Will that be, could that be? Yeah, Billy, this isn't a, uh, like a typical kind of case because like say for instance, just a real simple case. You have a, uh, you're buying a house. You know, an attorney can't represent both the seller and the client because that's a strict conflict of interest. Or you get a case of two guys want to rob a bank, they get caught, and uh, you have one attorney representing both of the defendants. Um, you, you're probably not going to do that sort of thing. There's going to be conflict of interest, especially if one of the uh, defendants wants to flip on the other. This there, That would be a clear conflict of interest. Here, um, I think Ms. Taylor did the right thing. She... Uh, put in substitution of counsel. 
and withdrew as counsel for, for Ms. Karen Northington. And uh, she then uh, entered the case on behalf of Mr. Koberger. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. This is a very special case. You have to have under Idaho law, Idaho law requires that in death penalty kind of cases like this, capital murder cases, the defense attorney must have prior experience with death penalty cases, capital cases. And that and in Idaho, those attorneys are few and far between. So um, I think um, what she did with withdrawing from the case was the right thing to do. She probably has or probably will soon address the issue with the judge in the case. And I'm sure that Ms. Taylor would all, will also uh, ask for and receive a written opinion from her local defense bar about this sort of possible conflict of interest. Um, and I, that's what I would do if I was in her spot. You know, Mike, um, I just want to read something. Lou Lemorocco uh, in the chat, a uh, very great, uh, nice comment. Absolutely, but she has broken Idaho state law. Conduct code and conflict of interest. Where is this lawyer's moral compass? She's jeopardizing the future of this case. Lou, I would just like to say, and I don't know if in fact she's broken the law. I would think she brought this up to the judge. Now I think this complete matter is in the hands of this judge. If this judge decides to go forward and allow her to represent Brian Koberger, then I think that all responsibility from Ann Taylor, the defense attorney, has been passed to the judge because she put it out there. It's out there in public. She, you know, as they say, transparency, shine a light mm -hmm. on it. She did. She told them what she did. She admitted she wrote what she did. Now, can she be held responsible for that now as being unethical? Did she break the law? No. no. This is the judge will now make this decision. I think it's a very slippery slope, and I'll use lawyerly language, even though I'm not an attorney. It's a very slippery slope here if the judge allows her to go forward and represent him. Maybe a smart thing might be for the judge to allow her to be second counsel and allow someone else to be the lead counsel. This way, I don't think she could be held to the highest. And I could be wrong. Mike, what do you think about that? I think Ann Taylor would, uh, Ms. Ann Taylor, the defense attorney for Mr. Koberger, would be smart to ask for a second seat. And I'm sure she's already asked for a second seat. She's going to uh, have a war room with all kinds of specialists coming in, looking at the evidence. It's going to be a, a team effort, team Koberg effort. And if she doesn't have a second seat with her in the courtroom, then she's a fool. But I, I agree with, with um, you know, the comments made by the viewer that it, it, you know, it does seem like she has no moral compass, but, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where she, re she really has to represent Mr. Koberger. She has to, there's, there's like maybe no one else right now in the lineup that could. Um, so this may change over the next couple of months, probably before June when they're getting back together in court. Um, but by then, this will be a settled issue. Um, but I don't see that uh, right now, from what I know, I don't see it being uh, something that would be an appealable, appealable issue if Mr. Koberger loses. Um, under Idaho law, uh, Idaho law of criminal procedure, uh, in, in death penalty cases, if there is a conviction, 
there is an automatic appeal. So no matter what happens in this case, if Mr. Koberger is convicted of, of the slayings and and the uh, and he and and if he is then sentenced to death by the jury and that's not a complete 100 percent given either. If those two things happen, there's going to be an automatic appeal anyway. Um, so we have a long way to go before we get there. And I, I don't want um, your, your viewers to like start jumping the gun and, uh, you know, jumping to conclusion because, um, you know, this is a, a, this is not like a New York case where you have a huge defense bar, very small um, county, very small defense bar. And she is qualified and she has to be qualified under Idaho law. So she's in, in a very unique position. And I think she did the right thing by withdrawing from representing Miss Northington. You know, Mike, uh, this case is controversial enough without oh, yeah. added controversy mm -hmm. to it. I mean, a quadruple murder. Uh, so many people have questioned this case. This case is not just a nationally uh, known case. It's internationally known. It's not... Uh, every day, every year, every five years, every 10 years that four students are slain uh, outside a college campus in, you know, in, in basically a house where they're staying to go to a university, they're slain in that knife point. Right. Uh, this doesn't happen. So it's controversial enough without more controversy added to it. One of the things I wanted to talk about, too, is there's been more controversy with this very issue with um, Ann Taylor, the attorney, mm -hmm. and with the mom, Kara Northington, uh, of course, um, the mother of Zaina Canodal. So it's Kara Canodal. I just don't I want to use her proper name. But she was on Ashley Banfield. And I don't want to speak anything poor about Ashley Banfield. I really happen to respect Ashley Banfield. Uh, I think she's a great reporter. I've been on her show. She's been on our show, and I really like her. So you can take my comments with a with a, a spoonful of sugar or salt, whichever you would like. But people questioned why she had um, Karen Northington on her show. She obviously has probably shouldn't be on TV. You know, no. she doesn't look very well. Um, she looks like she's got a drug addiction. And people, a lot of people had said that she was being patronized and she was being used. And I'm going to play a little bit of that. And as I said, uh, and it's you know, it, it's neither here nor there that I like um, Ashley Banfield. I just thought to put my prejudice out there that I do happen to like her and I wouldn't want to speak against her, but I'll use the excuse many people have said that they thought this was unfair and uh, patronizing to uh, Karen Northington. Conflicts of interest with attorneys were far less than this. I mean, let me give you an example. If you think that perhaps some point you want to divorce your spouse and you have a conversation with an, a couple of lawyers, your spouse can no longer retain any of those lawyers just because you had a conversation. So this woman, Karen Northington, whose daughter was violently murdered in Idaho, one of the Idaho four, those four students killed in Moscow at the University of Idaho. She is now facing the reality that the person she trusted most with four of her cases is now representing her daughter's accused killer. Here's that conversation. So Kara, 
What was your first reaction when you learned that your former attorney is representing the man accused of, of killing your daughter? Uh, I am heartbroken. I'm heartbroken because I trusted her. She, uh, she, you know, pretended that she was wanting to help me and, um, and to find that out that she's representing him. Um, I can't even convey how, how betrayed I feel. Have you had a chance to speak with her about this? No, no, I, I haven't spoken with her. I found out you found out through a friend through social media you weren't notified by this is actually pretty brutal to watch in my opinion uh and i think that um ashley banfield and news nation got some real pushback on this uh well-deserved pushback well tell me how you feel mike <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think Ashley Banfield, Ashley Banfield is very, very much aware of the gag order uh, that's in place. And that applies to police, investigators, law enforcement, forensics people, ballistics people, you know, CSI people. Um, and also, uh, any, and it says anyone else who has an interest in the case. Um, now, uh, Ms. Northington is the uh, mother of one of the, maybe the first witness that is going to be testifying in this case, Ms. Kernodal. And there is a possibility that um, Ms. Northington may be uh, called. Well, Mike, let, Mike, let me just correct you. Her daughter, Zaina, was one of the students that was murdered. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's possible. I'm, I got, I'm sorry, I got it mixed up with DM. Um, Ms. Kernodal's. Uh, mom, Ms. Northington, there is a possibility, not a huge possibility, but there's a possibility that she may uh, be called to testify in this trial if there was any sort of inconsistent statements made between any of the uh, surviving roommates to any of the family members of those who had been, who had been killed and murdered by Mr. Koberger. So, to, to do for Ashley Banfield to actually interview her and solicit information from her, I think wasn't the proper thing to do at this time. And I wished like, like Mr. Gonsalves earlier, uh, I wish Ms. Northington uh, did not take the call and did not uh, have the interview with, um, with Ms. Banfield. I don't see that it helped her in any way, shape or form. And I think it made Ms. Banfield look like she's just chasing you know, a, an angle of the case that should be left alone. You know, Mike, uh, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I just, I think it was like, it, it's a bad look. Yeah. I mean, why, you know, why would you put her on TV? She's right. obviously a sick woman. And I, I, I mean, sick in the way that she's drug addicted. And that's what gets her into trouble. That's, I'm sure what her case is about. She wants to go into rehab. Uh, she voices her opinion that um, her lawyer betrayed her because she was representing her in her drug case. And um, uh, Ms. Taylor, um, Ann Taylor, her, her attorney, who also was Brian Koberger's attorney, she gave her power of attorney to make decisions for her. So she feels betrayed. 
But again, you mentioned it also. The That's understandable. The overarching theme is that no one else in this case right. is allowed to speak to the press because of the gag order issued by the judge. So this, I'll use the term, this seems like the low-hanging fruit to come up with a story. However, it, it didn't work well or run well with social media and with audiences because people pushed back. And uh, apparently, I'll play another video later on where Ashley Banfield got quite upset at some of the things that were being said about her and about this interview. But I think that when you put someone on TV that is obviously drug addicted and obviously in pain and obviously in need of rehab, I don't think it's the greatest decision making by a TV station to do that. Yeah, I, I think it's it was a poor look for uh, Ashley Banfield and her station. Uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Northington deserves all of our sympathy, like Mr. Gonsalves. But you know, sometimes the media can take advantage of that, of their pain, and then try to get a headline out of it or get some clicks on it. I think it was a terrible thing to do. I seriously doubt that Ms. Taylor actually requested to um, represent Mr. Kober. I think Mr. Uh, the judge probably assigned her to represent Mr. Koberger. And so therefore, you know, if it, that's the way it goes. She is very uniquely qualified in that county. And therefore, there's just not a lot of other people who can do what she has to do right now. Absolutely. Hey, um, Ann Taylor, your attorney, you Right now. Uh -uh. And have you tried to reach out to her? Uh, no, I just found out today, literally. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, just so many thoughts. Uh, it, it's so it's so incredible that there is this this connection. Are you going to try to fight this at all? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Because, as I understand it, uh, this would require a, a waiver, something that you sign, and that that he would sign in order for her to go ahead and be able to to do this. Uh, legitimately. Um, I can imagine the way your reaction uh, is that you are not interested in signing a waiver to allow her to continue on. Right, exactly. And, and and I'd already given her power of attorney. I'd already signed over power of attorney so that she could help me with um, with getting into rehab and, and whatnot. And um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't understand what, how she could do this. I don't understand what happens now? Does she still have power of attorney or, or what goes on now? And no one has reached out to you from the public defender's office to, to help you navigate next steps? No, no. Have you been in um, communication with the police and prosecutors about the next step in, in this process and where you might fit in? Uh, no, no. And do you want that? Do you want to be in communication with them to, to understand what's happening and um, and and what they're going to be doing as they move forward in prosecuting him? Oh, yeah, 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 yes. So no one has reached out. I think that this interview, frankly, is disturbing. I can't say anything else. Fuzzy Doxy, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. Do you think it would be frowned upon as much if they just used a picture and voice rather than live. Well, I think that that wouldn't be as effective for what their purposes were. 
this is TV. This is drama, you know. And uh, as I said, as much as I like and respect Ashley Banfield, I think this was a mistake to put um, uh, Karen Northington on, on in an interview like this. I just, I, it's painful to watch to me. Uh, I don't know the rest of you guys in the chat how you feel about this. I think a lot of people have voiced their opinions on both social media and on News Nation's site that this was painful and that they didn't think it was right that uh, she was interviewed. Mike? Yeah, um, I mean, our hearts, our, our sympathy is with Miss Northington. And if she wants, and I'm sure she will make a complaint with the uh, state bar out in Idaho. Uh, but um, these situations where, you know, an attorney has to uh, leave one client, withdraw from representation, these things happen from time to time. And they'll, they have to then be transferred to another attorney. Um, so it's not a unique situation. It's in a small place like Idaho um, in this kind of situation. Th this is, uh, um, you know, a very difficult uh, situation for everyone. Here she is um, her, see, seeing her attorney who she probably likes and trusts now representing uh, a gentleman who stands accused uh, of killing her daughter in cold blood. Um uh, my heart goes out to her, uh, but Miss Banfield, I think, is looking for a headline. And, you know, I, and this is it's not right at all. I think what she did uh, with 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 Miss uh, Northington, I think she used Miss Northington. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime from a police perspective, you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. Make comments. We love to read your comments. We love to uh, react to your comments. We like to, when the comments are nice. Sometimes they're not nice, and we react to them too. We also have um, a Patreon with three different levels if you want to assist us financially. And we have a YouTube channel members. would count them, five different levels. And we appreciate all our friends our subscribers and our fans, they keep us wanting to do this every single night. So thank you so much. Yeah, I, I you know, I can't help but um, you understand what television does and what television is. And this was exacerbated by the fact that a judge issued a gag order. So you know that TV broadcast uh, stations and uh, print media, they're chomping on the bit. Sure. To get more information because it's almost like this is the biggest case of the year of the year. It's Jan it's we've only not even well one month into January 2023, but this is a huge international case. And when broadcast media and print media can't get any facts to report on this story, sometimes things get sensationalized and maybe sometimes and I don't know how they feel about this now. Sometimes they do things that maybe that they could even, and I'm not going to speak for them. I don't know if they regret putting her on. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But I think that potentially the gag order resulted in an interview like this. What do you think, Mike? I, I think, yes, I think the gag order was a good thing to do. But, you know, these are the results that happen is that uh, in when there's such a, a dearth of information out there, they're going to try to uh, look for every single possible angle to fill in the, the time slot. And um, this, unfortunately, is an example of, of what happens, 
you know, in, in that sort of uh, information vacuum. And I, I hope that, uh, you know, uh, other outlets besides Ms. Banfield, Miss Banfield's outfit um, takes takes this to heart and say, you know, we have to do other things, but we can't do, you know, fill in the time, but we cannot do this. Yeah, no doubt. Let's see what uh, Chris Cuomo and Jennifer Koffendoffer have to say here. Uh, the accused in the Idaho murder case also represented the mother of one of the victims? That's exactly right. Uh, the mother of Z We've helped millions of creators improve their SEO. Sorry, guys. Uh, every time Mike Geary comes on, I have some kind of malfunction. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to blame him. Sorry, uh, please. I'm, I'm a jinx. Karen Broderick, thank you for the five-pound super chat. I was disgusted when I saw this interview. Breach of gag order. Ashley knows this, too. Could this compromise the investigation? What do you think, Mike? I'll let you answer that. Um, it's definitely, I think, a breach of a gag order because there is that little possibility that Ms. Northington may be called at some point. She's she's a possible potential witness. So, yeah, I think um, that it is, I agree, it is absolutely uncalled for. It was, I think, a violation of the gag order. Um, it's, it's you know, a gag order is a uh, an order from a judge. And in, in, in a case like this, the judge has all the power and media has to respect it. Absolutely. I agree. You know, Mike, we see, and I'm not going to get into talking about it right now, but we see uh, the Murdoch case down in South Carolina, Alec Murdoch, and uh, on trial for killing his son and his wife. Yes. Uh, um, and there's he has a, a bunch of other charges that aren't being, has nothing to do with this case. This is the murder trial, a double murder. And the case is being televised. And I, I have a problem with that. I really do, because we... You and I and many other people our age grew up with the trial of the century, of mm -hmm. course, was the O.J. Simpson case. And we watched as prosecutors, defense attorneys, witnesses, uh, everyone. It was like a Hollywood case played to the cameras in that case. And I couldn't help but think of how that affected justice. And I don't know if it delivered justice because, again, people were playing. We all remember some of the, the, the quotes. Johnny Cochran, the famous attorney, if the glove don't Just fit, you must, must acquit. Quit. You know, there was even rhymes going on. People were playing. Judge Ito one day heard that Mark Furman had said something against his wife, who happened to be an LAPD police captain. He got visibly upset, almost like in tears. I was like... Is he would that really get him upset day to day, or is he playing to the cameras? And I had to think he was playing to the cameras. And Marsha Clark, she would do lots of things that you play with her hair and feign, you know, acting. Yeah. And of course, the dream team, Johnny Cochran, F. Lee Bailey, Robert Shapiro. I can't mm -hmm. even they had about 14 different attorneys. And they were all, and it, I, I just from that day on, I was like, there should never be cameras in the courtroom. Yeah. I think it affects everyone. How about the witnesses even? You know, right. I remember Johnny Cochran, they, one of the witnesses was a DNA expert and he was um, he was Asian. And Johnny Cochran made some kind of comment like, oh, we made chop suey of him. And I was like, oh, my God, imagine that. Can you believe he said that? 
you know? Yeah. And all of this stuff was on television that went out to the whole world. And when that not guilty verdict came in, it was playing in every living room across the world, practically. I was at work at the time in the 2-4 detective squad. And it was just, it was bringing, the, you know, what they called the trial of the century into your living room. Yeah, it was a circus. It was a three-ring circus from the White Bronco Escapade. If you remember the White Bronco Escapade on the L.A. freeway, I was in law school taking an evidence class that semester. We spent the entire every day that we had class, we would review everything that went on in the O.J. Simpson case. And I agree with you. It brings about a, a three-ring circus atmosphere, and everybody's looking. Uh, the attorneys, the the judge, Judge Ito. The attorneys, everyone is looking uh, and presenting themselves very differently. You know, when you're on camera, you know it. And when you're not, if you're off camera, you're off camera, you're not paying attention. But on camera, it turned into three ring circus. And every night there was running commentary from all of the networks about, as you say, Miss Clark's hair, Johnny Cochran's suit, the way he presented. Uh, the rhyming, you know, the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Mark Furman having a book deal where he gave some information that was used against him as a, a to impugn his character, all kinds of crazy stuff. And after a while, the actual double homicide, a brutal double homicide with a hunting knife, uh, where two young people were brutally slain right out there in front of their one of their homes. Um, kind of gets lost and it becomes all about the presentation in court rather than why we are here in a televised courtroom to begin with. And I hope that they don't do that here in Idaho. It would be a terrible disservice. You know, Mike, and the whole thing was also, I mean, it, the proof of the pudding is, is that all, no, I shouldn't say all, many of the people that were the characters, the cast of characters in the O.J. Simpson trial became famous in their own right after the trial was over. I think Marsha Clark has been working steadily as in, at, uh, in t on TV shows since yeah. the, that trial. Show after show after show she's on. She's commenting uh, about this case. Yes, Mark yeah. Furman. Same thing. Mark Furman became famous from that. Oh, yeah. Uh, who Chris, who was the other? Uh, the Chris Darden. Chris Darden. I read he his book. got a million dollar or a couple million dollar contract for a book, I believe. So it was pretty it good. It shows the power of, no, but the power yeah. of television. Yeah. Uh, Celebrity. Make, who was the guy who lived in O.J. Simpson's house who was like the surfer? Who oh. was, uh, oh. I can't think of his name. He became famous too. It was yeah. like, I, you know, uh. so it's just like, is that what cameras in the courtroom does? Is yeah. it, Because it certainly didn't do justice. No. It didn't, it didn't help the ends of justice. No. So I hope that they learn. And it, it, I guess it's up to the judge to say, yes, cameras in the courtroom, no cameras in the courtroom. But in a case like this, I would imagine there will be tremendous, tremendous pressure yeah. on the judge to say, OK, yes, cameras in the courtroom. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and does she have the power to say no? I think under uh, unless Idaho's law states uh, con uh, to the contrary, uh, she probably absolutely has the power to say no cameras. Or if she wants to allow cameras, maybe one fixed camera pointing towards the witness stand or something like that. 
but um, if I was the judge, um, I would not. I would not want it at all. I would do anything and everything in my power to ensure that there's no cameras in the courtroom. Our uh, chat came through again. The character was Cato Kainlin. Ah, that's who, it. He was the surfer dude that was like, "Well, man, I don't know. I remember what time it was, man." You that's know, right. like, <laughs> that's a, a name out of the past. Everyone wanted to be a Cato Kainlin to live in some millionaire's house for free. And just to watch the property, like you right. know, and just be a be a surfer dude during the day, you know. That's it's right. Like, again, characters became just uh, uh, Lorraine Lawrence. Um, I will, uh, Lorna. I will never agree with that verdict, but Kardashian, um, Kardashian, there was their father. Yeah, the Robert. Kardashians' father. I forget his first name. Robert. Robert Kardashian. He was an attorney. Yeah. And he was not OJ's attorney, but people believe he got rid of the murder weapon. Many oh, people believe, believe that, that he got the suitcase and he hid behind lawyer client confidentiality. And I believe was never called as a witness because no. he, he claimed he was, you know, he used that lawyer client confidentiality. But yeah, so you see, and guys, we're just using this as an example of why we think that cameras in the courtroom are a bad idea. And uh, all of these things, uh, Ronald Goldman, who was the one of the victims, yes. Nicole Brown Simpson, who was OJ's wife, and uh, Ronald Goldman uh, Jr., I believe, who was a waiter in the restaurant she used to frequent. That's right. He, the father couldn't get enough television. He was on TV every single night being interviewed. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? Your son is murdered. What is this? Why are you going on TV every single night? But it gets it gets like addicting. Yeah. And people, and, and, I guess, and, and perhaps, perhaps in his defense, uh, maybe he realized that the tidal wave of information and entertainment was, you know, directed at O.J. Simpson rather than his son. And so, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to think that he probably did it just to try to keep his son's name and Nicole Brown Simpson's name out there in the public so that people realize they were the names of the victims. You know, maybe that's what he did. Maybe that's why he did it. Absolutely. LR, I disagree. Cameras belong in the courtroom as the public pays for the justice system. Okay. The public deserves to see what happens in courtrooms. LR, you have every right to your opinion, but sure. I also think the main thing that a court wants to do is give justice. And I think cameras in the courtroom have an effect on justice being being done. So that that's that's why I'm against it. A little um Dan Abrams. The mother of Idaho murder victim Zana Kernodal spoke to News Nation's Ashley Banfield, and this wasn't just about how heartbroken she is or even about the suspect, Brian Koberger. No, she has a bizarre connection to Koberger's lawyer that should really lead to a lot of questions. Koberger's public defender, Ann Taylor, who we've seen in court with Koberger, withdrew as the lawyer for Kara Northington, Zana's mother, when she agreed to take the Koberger case. Yes, Koberger's lawyer withdrew from her case to defend the man accused of killing her daughter. Her charges were filed on November 19th, just six days after her daughter's murder. After being charged with two felony counts of possession of a controlled substance, Taylor withdrew on January 5th, the day a judge appointed her, as Koberger's public defender for the murders of Zanna, Madison, Kaylee, and Ethan. 
Zana's mom spoke with Ashley about how she felt learning the news that her attorney had sort of switched sides, so to speak. I'm heartbroken because I trusted her. She, uh, she, you know, pretended that she was wanting to help me. Uh, we saw that already. I'm not going to, I just wanted to show, uh, you know, it is, we covered early on why it's a conflict of interest. However, we believe that Ann Taylor covered herself by yes, letting, the court, letting the court know. Mm -hmm. So is she liable for ethics violations? I don't think so. No. I think she totally covered herself. And uh, I think it's for her, it's all good. Now the ball is in the court of uh, of the yeah. judge, I believe. Yeah, I think uh, Dan Abrams' characteristic characterization of the relationship, you know, um, I think he's a, a, an attorney also. Um, and Dan so, Abrams, yeah, it seems yeah. everyone's got a law degree these yeah. days. Even, even, <laughs> even Professor Mike Geary, yeah. got, he picked I got one, one up along the way. He was going to work one day, just picked up a law yeah. degree. Yeah. I got one, but I think I think unfortunately when they when they characterize you know, Chris Cuomo does this or, or Dan Abrams does it and they characterize it as extraordinary, strange, weird, un unbelievable, unconventional, whatever happens to be, whatever words they use to convey some sort of outrage. I think it does a disservice to everyone concerned uh, because then you get these conspiracy theories going around, misinformation about, you know, Brian Cobra is going to be set free, all kinds of crazy things. And it's nowhere near as dramatic at all. And I, I think it really does a disservice to the public because I think it actually misleads the public very much. Yeah. No, you know, absolutely. And, and I, I tell you what, I think that um, I would guess that this gag order will be in place at least till June 26th, oh, yeah. which is the next court appearance. <laughs> for Brian Koberger and his, uh, his defense attorney, Ann Taylor. I just, you know, I just feel there's going to be leaks. There's sure. been lots of leaks in this case as it is. I mean, many people, many journalists knew things that we didn't know much earlier than when we found out. A lot of people knew all about uh, the Hyundai Elantra and when, how, Early in the investigation, they had that information. Many journalists right. knew that. So that was leaks. And where were those leaks coming from? How many how many talking heads did we see during this investigation that used to work for the FBI? How many did we see? Many. <laughs> many. How many? Who's working on this case? Right. The FBI, right? You think potentially... They leaked some information to their buddies. Do you think that's a possibility? How about we had heard early on in this investigation unconfirmed, and this is where the rumors ran rampant on social media that there was an eyewitness DM. That that was out there very early also, right? Right. The information that the car had sped past the gas station, uh, we don't know exactly – we didn't get that. They knew about that, I think, in the first week. We didn't get that, I think, till three weeks into the investigation. However, many other law enforcement and, excuse me, not law enforcement, many other news agencies, and we are content creators. We don't get have the same power of the same connections as the broadcast media. 
But many, of course, network news stations, they get fed information through their connections with the FBI and through other means. So the gag order, there's still going to be leaks. No matter what. Hope, hope that the person from law enforcement that leaks this stuff doesn't get caught because they could be held in contempt of court if they do get caught leaking information. Yeah, you don't want that. That's a, That could be a career killer. You could be held in, in contempt by the judge. And in a courtroom, in a, during a trial, a judge is God and their word is law. And that's the way it goes. So, you know, heaven help anyone who is caught leaking information. Hey, Billy, can I address one issue that uh, one of your uh, readers, uh, one of your subscribers had brought up a couple weeks ago? You know, Mike, I could like be a boss and say no. Oh, okay. You can do whatever you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's great to be a guest. I get to do this. Thank you. Now, one, one of your uh, subscribers had a really great question uh, last week, and it was about whether or not because of the double jeopardy clause in our Constitution, what would happen if, you know, Brian Koberger was found innocent if you put all four of the tr homicides together in one trial, like it's going to happen, then if he's found innocent, that's the end of everything. And he goes free. And why wouldn't the prosecution, the question was, why wouldn't the prosecution want to divide the case up into four separate homicides and have four separate homicide trials? Therefore, you get four shots at the apple. So if he gets uh, acquitted on one, you still have three other opportunities to go uh, and try him for uh, for this homicide, and the answer is simply that uh, the, the uh, a the judge wouldn't allow it uh, at all. The judge is going to put is going to make sure, and it would happen that this is just a short time frame from like say four a.m. to four sixteen in the in the morning. Um, the 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 fact pattern is so small and so brief. They were all all the homicides took place in one home, and therefore it's one huge transaction, one huge criminal enterprise that Kohlberger's accused of undertaking. So that won't happen. Um, the prosecutor, if they did want it, and they wouldn't probably want it because they'd have to prepare for four separate trials, and that's that's too much. But the Mike, isn't that, usually, either. isn't that usually a, ta a, a tactic employed by the defense? Yes, separating. The yes. severing of cases, mm -hmm. the severing of trials. But yeah. I don't even know if in a case like this, if the defense would want this. No, I mean, it's a great question. And I loved it. And I thought about it for a while. But yeah, the defense wouldn't even want it. Because if if they got an acquittal on Koberger in the very first instance, say, if they only did one, one homicide, they would have to be prepared to defend him three other times. And, and you know what? It would be. And if he was convicted on any of those other subsequent times, if they actually did this for trials, uh, you would have an appeal, you know, uh, on the grounds of double jeopardy anyway, because it's, it's one fact pattern. Great question. Um, but yeah, it, it would never happen. Well, you know, Mike, this case, even with it being all four being, um, excuse me, Brian Koberger being tried for all four murders at the same time, this case is going to cost millions of dollars. Oh, sure. Could you imagine they severed this case and gave each case a separate trial? Yeah, it would it would be uh, ridiculous. And right. you'd, you know, you'd be here three or four years trying this case. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, folks, if you're looking for a good attorney in the New York City metropolitan area, Joe Murray is your man. 
Joe Murray is a retired NYPD police officer, got a law degree along the way, just like Mike Geary, and he went into defense. And you can reach Joe on his cell at 718-514-3855. His email, joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray is a huge, huge supporter of Police Off the Cuff, one of our biggest that's been with us from the beginning. So, again, if you need uh, an outstanding attorney, there's the flyer on the screen in the New York metropolitan area. Joe is your man. You know, this this case is it, – it hasn't even picked up steam yet as far as – look, we were all so relieved, I think, um, of course, December 30th when he was arrested and arrested in Pennsylvania, and the evidence started flowing in, and then the rumors and the people saying, oh, I don't think he did it, or did he have an accomplice, did he this, did he that? And, of course, all of these things are exacerbated by the judge putting a gag order because now no one can say anything that is fact to the press or to anyone else. So, as you said earlier on, Mike, rumors ran rampant. You know, we were talking about Ashley Banfield before, and I'm going to play a little bit of her her reaction to, I think, social media's reaction to her interview of Kara uh, Northington. Uh, and I don't think she was very happy about it. And um, so let's let's just play a little bit of this. And again, we voiced our opinion of this and what uh, what we think this this meant to everyone out there. People on social media have been talking about. Um, and I'm going to get very personal here, so just bear with me, if you will. There were a lot of people who were very upset that we ran this interview. And some of the comments that I read upset me because I look at Karen Northington as a woman who has admitted that she has struggled with addiction mightily. She admitted on television that she was in rehab and needed help from her attorney to get there. Um, her struggles are real. And the fact that she lost her daughter to a ghastly crime is real. And she is a victim in all of this. And she deserves a say. She deserves a say from the very get-go because she's been victimized as a family member of a murder victim. And I do not care where she spends her evenings or whether she's been in jail or whether she needed a public defender. She has a voice. She deserves to speak. And when this happened with her attorney, she 100% gets to speak. She has a dog in this fight because her attorney is now representing her daughter's accused killer. Let it sink in. She has a right to speak. She has a case. And I think Ann Taylor has explaining to do. And to that end, we called Ann Taylor's office understandably she can't get back to me. There's a gag order in this case. So she can't respond. But at some point, she's going to have to respond. And for anyone out there who thinks this is somehow sinking the case against Brian Koberger, let me be honest with you. A conflict of interest for a death penalty case can overturn a case. So if you're worried about this, you should be. You should be worried that an attorney who is not fit to serve as an attorney because of a conflict should not be in a death penalty case. Less the state of Idaho wants to spend a whole bunch more money and a whole bunch more emotion to have to retry this case again. And I am pretty sure nobody wants 
So, Mike, what do you what do you think about that? I don't think you know what she was talking about there was really what people on uh, on social media and people that responded to the interview of uh, of Zana Canodal's mom, Kara Northington. I think they were more responding to the fact that what we said earlier is that she didn't belong on TV getting interviewed in the condition that she was in. And I think to most people, and I'm not, I don't want to speak for most people. I'm going to speak for myself. For me, I didn't like the look of it. And as I previously stated, I like Ashley Benfield. I think she's a great reporter, but sometimes I think we all can get carried away and do things that, uh, aren't in the, it's not the best look. Let me put it that way. Yeah, with all due respect to Ms. Banfield, um, her ranting in, in that piece we just saw is confused. She's confusing several issues uh, about adequate representation of Ms. Northington. And then she, she's intertwining that with adequate representation from Mr. Koberger and where this is going to lead to a possible, um, you know, uh, problem up going ahead and, and an automatic appeal. And, and uh, it, it's very confused. It's rambling. It's not well organized. Um, it's emotional. And it really doesn't have a bearing on uh, on any sort any sort of reality. Ms. Taylor is was picked to be the attorney for Mr. Koberger. And she immediately withdrew as representation for Ms. Uh, uh, Carrington. Um, Northington, I'm sorry, Northington. Um, she did what she was supposed to do. Um, yeah, it, it's not a perfect world and these things happen and I do feel sorry for Miss Northington and it would have been better to address this sort of issue later on in a different forum. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not impressed with uh, Ashley Banfield's uh, response whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, look, how will this affect the case and what, what we just what we discussed in this, we're close to the hour now. Yeah. Um, will this affect the case? And, uh, you know, my, my thought, uh, early on was that the judge could just, if the judge, if she, it's a, she, it's a, she, the judge, if she thought that this was an issue that could be used as an appeal, I believe that she would remove Miss Taylor as the lead def defense attorney in this case. Uh, is this a precedent or has this, as the other attorney, when we played the little file tape, he said, this happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, this is not a precedent-setting case. Attorneys do this all the time. How many people out there, and I've heard this a million times by people who have hired attorneys, how many people have hired an attorney? They go to court and another attorney shows up to represent them mm -hmm. from the law firm of the attorney that they hired. I'm sure that doesn't make the person that spent thousands of dollars to hire this attorney, I'm sure that doesn't make them happy. That's and I'm not comparing this to that, but there's certain things that are done because of expediency, because of busyness, because of a, an attorney can get stuck at one place sure. uh, and not be able to get to the other courtroom. So all of these things we could consider as laymen as, oh, my God, that guy should be that's ethically ridiculous. He didn't show up to court. But there is, you know, precedent for some of this. And for some of it, there is no precedent. This this um, storm of controversy right now is going to die down, and I, I the way I see it, it will have absolutely no effect on the case. The judge will make a decision, 
And I'm sure the judges are already, obviously the judge is already aware. The judge will make a decision and either uh, Ms. Taylor will be removed. I doubt she'll be removed. She cured any sort of possible um, conflict of interest on the 5th of January. So that should settle the case. And I, I'm sorry that the viewers have to have all kinds of misinformation thrown out there and you know made into a drama for absolutely no reason. Um, and so I doubt this, this little firestorm right now is gonna have any bearing whatsoever on the case going forward, none whatsoever. You know, Mike, I agree with you. What we're seeing on the screen right now, and I was playing, uh, showing some of the pictures of the victims from the Idaho case, but I, I, I don't like to go through a, an episode without mentioning what this case is all about. Mm -hmm. What this case is all about is Ethan Chapin, Zaina Canodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonzalez, four University of Idaho students that lost their life, their lives violently on November 13th. 2022 and that's what this case is all about and we never ever want to lose sight of that no matter all of the the stuff that we hear all of the uh the drama all of the non-drama we hear all the things we made up the rumors the gag orders the attorneys the prosecutors the detectives the fbi agents uh brian koberger his family his phd uh studies at the University of Washington State. All of those things mean nothing. What really means everything was that slide that I put on the screen of Ethan Chapin, Zaina Canodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonsalves. And that's what's mostly most important in this case. Absolutely. That's that's the focus, and that should be the focus the entire time, nothing else. Absolutely. Mike, we hit an hour. Uh, final words. Uh, just uh, like you usually say, just be patient for everybody. Uh, all the subscribers, be patient, tune in. You'll get the facts here. You're not going to get drama like you see on other stations and mischaracterizations. And hold the families uh, in your prayers, like like Gonzalez family and uh, Ms. Northington. You know, they're hurting tremendously and our heart goes out to them. And just keep them in your prayers. Absolutely. Mike, I just want to reiterate to you so you feel the love from the chat. Catherine Lansell, great show tonight, Bill. I love Mike Geary. Everyone loves Mike Geary. Thank you know? you. Thank <laughs> Straight you. out of the Bronx, law degree, NY, retired NYPD sergeant. Folks, I want to thank every one of you for coming by tonight. This this case is just, you know, even the twists and turns it takes and uh, going through what we're going through in this case. Uh, we appreciate you following us and following our case and following police off the cuff, real crime stories. I want to uh, wish everyone a great night. God bless and thanks for supporting Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Good evening, everybody. One episode, just ain't enough.